Hi there, my name is Pete. This is Social Distance. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs> uh, this is episode 215. It's the anniversary episode. Yay! We made it. We made it for a whole year. Unbelievable. Yeah, fantastic. Oh. And on the 17th of March 2020, that's the first time I did one of these episodes. Yeah, 215 episodes all that time ago, a whole year ago. And I'm going to play you a little bit of it, and it sounds remarkably similar in some ways, although I do feel like I sound a bit more rigorous and refreshed, you know? Um, But the music is different. I don't know if you can hear this plinky-plonky music in the background, so that's a marked change. Yes. So this episode, we're going to be looking at, you know, what what it's been like uh, throughout the year, and the foundation stone upon which the entire uh, (laughs) episode is built is the audio that Emily sent through from Tokyo. So thank you so much, Emily, for sending through your thoughts on this last year. It's fantastic to hear your voice. Fantastic to hear from you. And next week, uh, Ireland, Catherine in Ireland, Catherine had sent through a beautiful piece of audio for us to uh, listen to, uh, reflections on on the year. It's really beautiful stuff, so I'm looking forward to playing that. And also, when we're playing these, uh, it's kind of week-by-week basis, starting today with Emily. When we're playing these, it's also an opportunity to look at the country's responses to COVID-19, obviously. So we're going to be looking at Japan's response to COVID-19 and how that compares... To, to Britain, you know, which is, is uh, not great, basically, and that's not great. Um, Britain, Britain isn't great. I mean, it's like, it's actually incredible, the differences, you know. So we'll look at that later on. Uh, now, also, I just want to say a couple of words personally about what this year has been like. I mean, I remember the, the fear and the, just the kind of craziness of deciding to stay in the house and for the first three weeks of the first lockdown we literally didn't go anywhere it took us three weeks for us to build up the courage and a lot of it was on me to build up the courage to go to Dartmoor during that first lockdown and at the time we didn't have anywhere to um you know kind of like play outside I mean you know I had a uh a three-year-old at that point, and he's t- turned four throughout the years. Funny the way that works, isn't it? Yeah, people age. So, um, you know, we had this three-year-old. We had somebody who was quite vulnerable. My partner's sister was living with us, very vulnerable. And because we were shielding, we decided that we should kind of, you know, get her to live with us for a couple of months during the shielding period as well. Um, so that first couple of weeks was very tension-filled. Like we were very spooked, basically, and we were setting up all of those things that the government had started, like the supply box with, uh, you know, like food in it and really useful things. The first—I don't know if you can remember—but the first couple of weeks was a bit hairy in terms of, you know, you couldn't get slots on the um, online supermarkets. It was unclear whether we would get a priority slot. At that point, I wasn't seen as being in the shielding category, even though I was shielding. 
I wasn't officially in the shielding category, mainly because of the incompetence of this doctor up in Newcastle. It's a very good department, cardiology department in Newcastle, but the doctor was like incompetent and essentially didn't write me the letter that he needed to write. Now that changed when I then moved back to my doctors in uh, in London, in St Bart's, the cardiology department in St Bart's. That's so good that that fucking Prince uh, Philip went there, didn't they? Yeah, fucking Prince Philip. Um, and the Bart's hospital doctor immediately. So this was like I'm kind of jumping now into um, late October when it all started to kind of kick off um, with with uh, where I work and me realising I just need to work from home now, you know, because it's getting tasty again. This is before the second lockdown, which came in in November. Um, and the, the doctor there, because I was kind of going through this transfer, having moved from Yorkshire to, uh, to Devon. Are you keeping up with this? <laughs> Anyway, the doctor in St. Bart's was really brilliant. She wrote this amazing letter. You know, my uh, employees, my employees, my employer had to take it very happily, you know, kind of very supportive throughout, actually. Um, but the letter's like, you know, totally black and white. You know, he needs to uh, shield, you know. And now I'm on the official shielding list, and I have been ever since. But in those uh, first days... My uh, partner's sister was shielding, but not me. So, you know, there was lots of kind of tension around how to get food. I mean, really, like I remember spending hours on the phone just kind of chasing down local farms and like who will be able to deliver and who has got, you know, food in, basically. So that was a bit of a, a crisis, really, like right at the beginning. It felt very stressful. And of course, at the same time, we were all, we were working. Both of us were working from home. And then when we went to Dartmoor, then it kind of totally changed. All of this, by the way, if you're a new listener, a listener, then of course it's all archived. Like back in those days, I was doing it once every day. You know what I mean? So every all of every fucking twist and turn is like down there. You know. Um, so the, Dartmoor was like a massive relief, a massive like you know game changer uh because it gave us obviously just space time outside it was clear like right from the very beginning it was obvious that the chances of getting covid19 are tiny if you're outside like if you're on dartmoor for fuck's sake <laughs> you know what i mean and occasionally some arsehole will walk up to you like literally walk up behind you and you won't know until they're literally like breathing down your neck and of course if that happens wherever it happens it's slightly during a pandemic you know where you can catch a fucking disease if somebody breathes on you it's slightly uh you know creepy and horrible um and that did happen once and i think i told you about that i'm sure i probably ranted about that didn't i yeah so, but Dartmoor was a big, big step change in terms of, uh, you know, just kind of getting out of the house and running around. And uh, then the kind of summer came, you know, the cases fell and looking and then it kind of got tasty again, you know, bad again. And then the vaccine breakthrough was a big changer. 
and I thought, oh, well, there's no need to do this every day. (laughs) We know where it's going. Um, But it's been a very interesting, in some ways, one of the most difficult, obviously, one of the most difficult years of my life, probably of any of our lives, you know, most of our lives. Um, But then in other ways, I feel like there's certain things that just by luck uh, is really good in our position. I can't kind of forget about that. You know, the fact that Dartmoor is just literally five minutes drive away is absolutely huge for us. And in terms of our kind of survivability, not in terms of like we would have died if we hadn't had um, Dartmoor, but just in terms of the way that you think about space and the way that you enjoy space and like, you know, kind of go into space, like at least once a week we go to Dartmoor and that's a totally transforming thing, especially if you're been working at home for the vast majority of this year, like literally just sitting down, looking at a screen hour after hour after hour after hour. It's very, very different from the kind of job that I normally have where I'm up and active and standing all the time and talking to people, like literally talking to hundreds of people every day. You know, maybe not hundreds, but like certainly a few, you know. And what that's one thing as well is that I'm really, really looking forward to getting back to work. I'm really looking forward to getting back to speaking to people. And I really miss that element. I mean, obviously, I really miss being with my friends and we're arranging to see friends again because it's now quite soon, 29th of March, where the rule of six come back in. So we can now start to arrange to see friends, you know, with like small families and that kind of thing. Um, so we're really looking forward to that and kind of getting back to a bit of a normality. It's been a very weird um, year. There have been some points in the year where I've felt like if I get it, then I'm going to die. There's no question about that. I did really feel the, the, the sense of dread at some points. And, you know, long-term listeners will, you know, that probably won't come as any surprise to you at all. I think the turning point was the vaccines, you know. And I know that the vaccines aren't um, 100%. And obviously, I'm still taking the precautions that you need to protect, that you need to take whenever I go out of the house. But, uh, you know, slowly but surely... I hopefully I mean it's amazing like you know bloody there's a couple of places in in Europe where cases are going up like something like 30,000 cases in uh, France yesterday and they fucking paused the thankfully they've they now it looks like quite a lot of those places are now going to begin doing the AstraZeneca vaccine again but you know in the UK It was 5,000 confirmed cases yesterday. And that's really good knowing that there's millions of people now every day doing these case, doing these tests. Yeah. Millions of people are doing PCR tests and you can quibble about, oh, well, you know, you get false negatives. Well, maybe you get like a tiny, apparently it's one in a thousand false negatives. But if you've got millions of people doing it, like everybody that works in schools and all secondary school kids twice a week are doing it, okay? 
and then and also like people that work in hospitals as well so there's millions of people every single day and we've only getting 5000 confirmed cases out of all of those tests so that's you know obviously very very positive uh slightly you know it's not it's not great because 5 to 10% of the cases in France are the South Africa variant and we do have this problem with the South African variant um you know and the vaccines the vaccines not being as robust as other as it, as it is against other variants and as i talk about you know when i'm talking about uh, japan versus uh the uk our borders are like it's just a fucking joke like you know there are basically for the vast majority of countries there are no restrictions you're just told oh yeah like go home and self isolate won't you but there's no checks on that you know so there's a big chance that it's going to go tits up and we all know that like with bonson johnson in charge there is always a big chance that it's going to go tits up but having said that looking back on the year you know i recognize that i've been very lucky being on dartmoor and kind of utilizing dartmoor as much as as i have i'm very very incredibly lucky to be in a job where it was possible i mean actually kind of seamless to work from home and i've been like busy every bloody day working from home and that's fantastic you know like absolutely fantastic um at last the uh, cardiologist came through and you know put me on the shielding list which is really good so there's some really good things to be kind of grateful for um and i'm like it's kind of i'm not surprised that i survived it because i kind of knew that you know you you do have a lot of agency you do have a lot of control obviously about who comes close to you and like what you do about it do you know what i mean and you know what i'm like if you listen to this show you know so there's no surprise that i survived it but at the same time i'm delighted that i have <laughs> um but it does show you that you know we this isn't a passive life you know it is an active you have to kind of actively like you know do things and and kind of like take your own safety in mind is that a, that's a good lesson isn't it yes exactly exactly the kind of thing that Oprah Winfrey would say anyway let's go back to a year ago and this is what i used to sound like people like me with long term health conditions i've got a complex very rare um heart condition and i'm on the flu list which is the kind of general you know guide if you're on the flu list then you've really got to seriously think about socially distancing yourself but hey you know wait until the weekend why don't you and in the meantime if you work in a school obviously the schools aren't shut yet in britain it's tuesday the 17th of march so I speak to you don't i sound young and refreshed oh yeah those are the days oh yeah now one of the big things as well obviously this year like a huge thing is this podcast you know and as you know probably i did it every single night for for a long time when was that until um i don't know, I can't bloody remember now but what june was it or something like that and then i went down to four episodes do you remember yeah yeah and then in was it december went down to the one episode so that's especially at the beginning i mean throughout it's been 
you know, an absolute brilliant uh, uh, funnel through which I can rant, essentially. And it's incredible that anybody's bloody interested in listening, let alone the 40 countries that listen, including Romania, by the way. Bing! The uh, machine went bing. And a new country alert, new country alert, Romania. Hello, I've got a feeling that, I don't know, maybe I never had listeners in Romania. Maybe that's a kind of, can they re-enter, as it were? Like, we can, re, can we re-enter Europe? Can Romania re-enter the list of countries that listen? I suppose they can. Some guy in Romania listens and then he fucks it off and then he comes listening again. Yeah, that's probably how it works. But it's been absolutely brilliant. I mean, you know, this is such an infuriating position to be in. Not my personal position. I've just spoken about how lucky I am in some regards. But, I mean, to be in this fucking country with these fucking bozos. I mean, it is a fucking joke, man. These bozos, every single week, there's another scandal. You know, 2.6 million to make a fucking... Like, put in a couple of microphones. I mean, it's a joke, you know? It's essentially a corrupt organisation that is running the uh, UK uh, government at the moment. And, of course, you know, we're not going to get anything better for a long, long time. And it's uh, really dispiriting. And as you know, I have complained about it on numerous occasions, but nobody's listening. (laughs) Um, so, you know, it's been fantastic to have that opportunity just to rant, basically. It's probably been doing me a lot of good in terms of my mental health, in terms of my kind of ability just to kind of get up in the morning and get on with life, you know, that I've had this kind of way of funneling and also way of funneling ideas that I have, like fucking mad ideas, whoever it is, like, you know, the bo- mob boss, or the robots, all that shit you had to listen to, like, for months. And now, the you know, occasionally I kind of think of a bit of music that I want to put in the show. You know, so it's very, very good for me to do this podcast. And it's been a massive kind of part of this year. And it's amazing that you're listening. Like, it's incredible that you're still listening. Like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> but anyway, thank you ever so much. And... Have you ever seen the sunshine? No, not pork. Sunshine. I didn't say pork. I know you've seen pork. Is that sunshine? Now we've got a big episode, an exciting episode. The uh, foundation stone upon which the episode is built is Emily's report from Japan, from Tokyo. And I'm going to be looking at uh, how Japan has fared compared to the UK with COVID-19. How do you think? <laughs> oh, God. Um, and we're also going to be look at, looking at, look, look at the criticism that Bonson Johnson, the sausage himself, is coming under after, because it is a year on from, you know, the first lockdown and lots of journalists are looking at, uh, you know, uh, how do we do? Uh, not fucking great. Laura Kunzberg has been doing a series of reports, who's the BBC's political editor, if you're not in the UK. Um, So she's quite an important journalist in in the UK. Um, A series of reports on the News of 10 on BBC One. 
which is the flagship news show in Britain, probably. Well, I don't think that's too controversial to say that. Um, and and she's been speaking to uh, insiders in the government off the record, you know, anonymously, and they've been very open in the shit show, like, you know. So I could be going into that a little bit. Also, we have got uh, Paranormal Blip, obviously, after Sigur Ross. Um, but we're going to begin by looking at the AstraZeneca situation. Um, basically, AstraZeneca, uh, it's one of the two um, validated vaccines or, or authorised vaccines in the UK. And it's been authorised by the European Medical Agency and lots of European countries as well. But um, controversially, it's been paused in quite a lot of European countries uh, because of uh, instances of blood clots, fatal blood clots in some instances. So in Germany and Denmark, for instance, people have had blood clots that have killed them after having the vaccine. And now, so so blood clots is something that happens. In the UK, 3,000 fatal blood clots a year. And everybody that looked at these numbers comes up with the same conclusion, including the World Health Organization and the European Medical Board, uh, whatever they're called. Um, and basically they've said, yes, it's what you would expect in a population. You are going to have some people dying from blood clots. That's not going to stop if you give loads of people the vaccine. But evidence doesn't show that it's rising because of the vaccine. Okay, so there is a question over what is going on because they've got the numbers just as much as anyone else has. You know, the number of people that have been vaccinated and the number of people that are having these problems with blood clots. And it doesn't really make sense from a numbers point of view why you would stop giving the vaccine out. And I know from anecdotal evidence that even people that are severely allergic to other things that the vaccine don't have. But in the real world, at least in the UK, they're being told actually don't have this vaccine, have the other one. In fact, don't have Pfizer, have AstraZeneca is the is the kind of advice for people that are um, severely allergic to to various things, okay? And with all of these things, you've just got to look at, obviously, you know, what is the risk? Is the risk of you dying from blood clot uh, bigger than the risk of you getting fucking blood clot and a, you know, fucked heart and fucked lungs and a fucked brain through COVID? Well, probably it's a better idea to have the fucking vaccine, you know what I mean? And if you look at it with the clear light of day, there is no... Um, risk there's no added risk to having blood clots or getting anything else if you have the vaccine as Hattie says it's not just safe it's does you good no what's he say I keep bloody forgetting my heart was broken my heart was broken I always wondered why he doesn't say heart. It's not heart, is it? It's heart, for Christ's sake. My heart was broken. My heart was broken. 
哈，我操哈，我操哈。So the big look back with the old report from Laura Kunzberg. And there's a couple of these、um, because obviously people are calling for a, uh, a look back, you know, a review, an independent review, considering we have、uh, so many people dead. It's unbelievable, you know, unbelievable. Nearly 150,000 people dead with COVID-19 on their birth certificates.、Um, so, as an example of the、uh, things that. People are telling Lua Kunzberg, people in government. They,、uh, one senior minister said the government should have locked down more severely in the autumn, while another said it'd been totally ridiculous to be arguing about whether people should return to the office when there was inevitably going to be a second wave. So remember back to you know、uh, late August into September, in the middle of September, even fucking.、Um, Well, they called Sage. Says, yeah, we need a lockdown. You know, we need a, a circuit break, as they called it, for two weeks.、Um, but that didn't happen. And then, of course, we were forced into into the second lockdown at the end of、um, well, in the in November, wasn't it? Yes.、Um, someone else says we kept repeating the same mistakes over and over again, despite the masses of evidence that kept coming up. We lost an awful lot of time, and that led to more cases. And more deaths. So, an, a big story in the Guardian. Well, number one,、um, uh, the Labour Party are calling for a review to happen in June, and a big story in the Guardian and in other places as well.、Um, the Resolution Foundation,、uh, which is a think tank, have said that twenty-seven thousand extra deaths were caused because the winter lockdown. Came in too late. In an assessment of policy over the last year, it said delaying the start of the latest lockdown until January, despite evidence of fast-rising cases before Christmas, led to around a fifth of all fatalities caused by the virus. I mean, it's ridiculous that Christmas happened in the way that it did. You know, they're basically, oh yeah, that's fine. Just go back to you know, kind of socialising and getting together again for your fucking Christmas knees up. And the Resolutions Foundation says that 27,000 people have died as a result. So you know, and now with、uh, the news that there's going to be a delay in the vaccine rollout, quite a serious delay.、Um, now this is the the NHS has written to everybody giving out the vaccine, saying don't take any more bookings for April for the whole of April. Okay. Now we've dipped quite considerably. We have passed 25 million now in the UK, and of course, for the vast majority of listeners in other countries, you'll think, well, that's pretty good for a population of, you know, 67 million. 25 million people vaccinated isn't bad. It's about 50% of the adults now are vaccinated, which is good. So now there's this delay on,、uh, you know, new vaccinations for April. Now apparently, you know, the second.、Um, Vaccinations, the second shots for those that have had their first shots will still happen. But there was this guy on Radio Four who said, who's like part of J Tag, what the fuck they're called, the、um, advisory body, what they called JVIP or something,、um, who said, 
Oh yeah, well, you know, we, we can slip, this isn't verbatim by the way, we can slip a little bit with the 12 weeks. And I just wonder whether that's the first sign of, I mean, it wasn't even picked up by the fucking presenter, you know, but I just wonder whether that's the first sign of Hattie Mancock basically kind of, you know, giving us the bad news, essentially, that we are going to have to wait for over 12 weeks for not everyone, but some people who have been vaccinated first are going to have to wait for 12 weeks to the second vaccination. Now, the vaccination properties look really good. They do protect you, you know, but we do need to keep rolling it out. And if there's no uh, new people getting vaccinated in uh, April, apart from those who are over 50, who's kind of like, you know, kind of in the system, as it were, already booked in, then that's obviously quite worrying. And it's possible that the wills are starting to fall off on this. I mean, hopefully not. Of course, you know, Mancock says, oh, fucking, you know, you can expect things like this. It is going to be bumpy. But he's also just told the House of Commons that 1.7 million doses um, are delayed because they have to be tested again to make sure that they're like OK. You know, so, <laughs> you know, two days of bad news basically on the vaccine front isn't great. And of course, this is the only thing that the fucking government have got to um, you know, hollow about the only little bit of success. Well, it is a major success. You know, if it all goes well, and if it obviously if it protects people's lives, it's a proper qualified major success. And on that, Lisa Mandy, uh, Lisa Nandy, the Labour um, front bencher, I thought she was very clever given that question of, you know, why aren't you six points ahead? You're six points behind the Tories. Um, and she said, listen, we don't mind. We really, we think it's fantastic that the vaccine operation is so successful and we don't mind being a couple of points behind because it doesn't matter about that. You know, I thought it was a really obviously kind of politically astute, but also it sounds like, you know, yeah, fine. Like if it's good for the country and if the um, Tories, if the government are reaping the benefits of something good for the country. We don't mind because it's good for the country. So that was quite good politics, yeah.
This anniversary episode starts a series of uh, reports from people uh, across Britain and across the world who are friends of mine who have collaborated and contributed in the past who are giving a bit of a review of their year. So first of all, it's Emily in Japan. And let's just take a few moments to look at Japan and COVID-19 and compare it to the United Kingdom. Now, I know that not all of my listeners are in the United Kingdom, but roughly 60% or so of you are. So um, compare it to the UK. So the population of Japan estimated in 2020 is uh, 126,476,000. So 126.5 million people. And the population of the UK is 67 million, 67,886,000 estimated. So that is basically half of the population of the UK, uh, of Japan. Almost exactly half the population. Okie dokie. So that's interesting, isn't it? Now, let's see. How do we do with COVID-19? Well, not great. Um, England, as you know, or I should say the UK, the vast majority of it being England, as you know, has suffered a massive number of deaths. The UK, um, you know, 28 days or under, dying 28 days or uh, fewer days than that. (laughs) That was well said. Then getting your COVID test. Um, 126,000 people crying out loud. You can also add on another 20,000 or 21,000. From my calculations, we're now up to 147,000 people that have died from COVID-19. 146,000 people have got COVID-19 on their birth certificates. Uh, Sorry. Oh, my God, I said that horrible, gross thing again. Sorry. Their death certificates. But you then add on the other thousand that have died since that last update, which was at the beginning of February. So the death rate has slowed dramatically in the UK in the last couple of weeks or so, which is obviously fantastic news. Uh, but a hundred. So let's go with the 126 figure, yeah, which is, you know, not the complete figure, but is, is there is a, 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 an undoubted uh, total 100% agreement that 126,000 people have died in the UK from COVID-19, okay? You could argue, and we've spoken about it in the past, like back in the fucking early days when we had discussions about this kind of thing, about the intricacies of, you know, why is it that it would be on a death certificate, but it wouldn't be counted? Well, the main reason is that they do the cutoff date after 28 days. If you die from COVID-19 on day 29, you know, you've still died from COVID-19. If you die a couple of months later, knowing what we know now about COVID-19, obviously the vast, vast majority of those deaths with 
COVID-19 on the death certificate, you died because of COVID-19. Now, it may be that you were basically dying anyway, like you were literally at the end of your life in palliative care, and then you got COVID-19 at the end. They worked out, oh yeah, God, they have COVID-19 right at the end, but they were in palliative care. So although we have to put it down as having, you know, being kind of present when the person is dead, then they didn't really die of COVID-19. You know, they were like in the process of death, in the process, in the death process, as they say in that really good film. Do you remember that film? Oh, that's a good one, isn't it? Yeah, what's called Arrival. Yeah, starring Forrest Whitaker. Yeah, do you remember that one? Yeah. Anyway, um, paranormal blip. Oh, by the way, I've got a fantastic question from Poor Choices Back. They have asked a fucking great question, but they've put it in paranormal blip. Ah, that'll get you listening, won't it? (laughs) Anyway, oh Christ, there's a bloody poltergeist again. Anyway, um, what was I saying? Oh yeah, right, so 120, so let's go with that figure. 126,000 deaths uh, from 28 days after receiving a positive COVID-19 test in the UK. And also, by the way, four hundred, uh, sorry, four million, um, two hundred and seventy thousand cases, confirmed cases in the UK, and we obviously know that you know there were literally hundreds of thousands of people in the first wave that weren't tested because the only testing that was happening was in hospitals in the first wave. So you can add on, you know like at least hundreds of thousands, who knows, it's unknowable how many hundreds of thousands uh, you could add on to that of people that weren't tested, never will be tested. But in terms of the confirmed cases, that's 4,270,000 in the UK and 126,000 deaths in the UK, a place with a population of 67 million people, right? Japan, population of 126 million, okay, how many cases? 449,000, 449,000. How many deaths? 8,682 deaths. So that is a big difference. Just a, you know, it's an extraordinary difference. The UK has got more than 14 times the number of deaths from COVID-19 than Japan. More than 14 times. It is unbelievable. Um, So why is that? Well, we're both islands, yeah. Um, The population, all of these things about, oh, what about fucking population density? Yeah, Japan is a bit bigger in terms of the, the size of the like, you know, the land mass, it is a bit bigger, but it's not that much fucking bigger. It's got double the amount of people, for crying out loud. So it's not New Zealand, right? It's Japan, yeah? It's got Tokyo in it, for Christ's sake, like one of the biggest cities on the planet, okay? So it's Japan we're talking about. (laughs) A couple of months ago, um, at last, that fucking Grant Shapps put in, like, actual controls over, you know, if you came back from various countries, you had to quarantine. You could come back still if you were, you know, a British or an Irish citizen uh, from this list of banned countries. 
but there's nothing to stop you from kind of intervening. So you could come back from, I don't know, you know, say one of these countries like um, Brazil, for instance, yeah, where there's the Brazil variant. If you really wanted to travel into the UK from Brazil, what you could do is you could go via Paris, for instance, okay? And then you would get into the country. And then you wouldn't be stopped, okay, because you haven't come back from um, Brazil. Only people, like British citizens or Irish citizens, coming back from any of these uh, red list countries, as they're known, the ban on the banned list countries, when they come back to the UK, they're asked to be to go to a kind of government-sanctioned quarantine hotel for uh, 14 days. I think they might have been reduced to 10 days. And, you know, the uh, parliamentary committee on this basically has uh, heard evidence saying that it's essentially a voluntary system. There's no way of checking um, whether people who come into the UK, no matter what they're advised, there's no way of checking whether they actually do what they're asked to do. Okay, it's just a voluntary system and who, who knows whether they're doing it or not. And how many people, uh, how many countries are on that list? There's 35. Um, Japan has got a strict um, restriction on who can come into Japan. They've had it for a long, long time, right from the beginning of COVID-19 striking a year ago, yeah? 155 countries are on that list. 155. So that is a massive difference, okay? Also, we've got a an incredibly uh, simple but wildly sophisticated, <laughs> wildly sophisticated um, uh, public health, uh, what, what, like, um, what's the word? Campaign, that's the word, yeah. And it's called the three C's. So posters everywhere. It's in English as well as Jap is as well as Japanese, and probably in loads of other languages as well. Important notice for preventing COVID nineteen outbreaks: avoid the three C's. And these three C's are ubiquitous. Yeah, they're kind of everywhere, right? Number one, closed spaces. So these are what you avoid. Number one, closed spaces with poor ventilation. Two. Crowded places with many people nearby. Three, close contact settings such as close range conversations. And then there's pictures of these three things happening and uh, red X's above all of these things. One of the key measures against COVID-19 is to prevent occurrences of clusters. Keep these three C's from overlapping in daily life. The risk of occurrence of clusters is particularly high when the three C's overlap. In addition to the three C's, items used by multiple people should be cleaned with disinfectant. So everything that you need is on there, including then at the end there's a, uh, a, a website within a search box and the, um, the arrow is kind of hovering over, just about to press search, if you can imagine that. And there's one of those IQ, what are those things called? Not IQ. You know, the mad, <laughs> the mad barcodes, the boxy barcode things, whatever they're called. I don't know what that is. 
but that obviously gives you information if you um, scan it, yeah? So everything you need is there, okay? Everything you need, including ventilation. I'm reading up about these three Cs. People are talking about how important it is, you know, that they included ventilation there. And one of the key things about, you know, the UK as an example, ventilation is always seen as the the lost, um, you know, component in all of this, yeah? But not in Japan, okay? Japan, they're very like, you know, do the bloody ventilation, get the windows open. Uh, mask wearing obviously happens quite a lot. And although Tokyo, where Emily lives, there have been other kind of tighter restrictions, they've basically been on the outbreaks much, much better than we, like, obviously, they've had like so few cases compared to the UK and so few deaths, 14 times fewer deaths than us, yes? So, than the UK, not us. So, um, yeah, so here we go. Anyway, I've bloody uh, said enough about it. Here is Emily. Hello, this is Emily in Tokyo. Being in Japan, my experience of the pandemic has been quite different from the experiences had in the UK. Japan, for a start, has not had any form of lockdown, so to speak. Apart from in April in 2020, for a few weeks, the country is under a state of emergency. Now, Tokyo and several other uh, prefectures with major cities are under a second state of emergency. And that's been going on since the beginning of January, and we're at the tail end of it now. Uh, I think it's going to be lifted next week. Well, anyway, um, this state of emergency has not been, it's not felt like an emergency at all. The shops are open, people are working away um, from home, including me. Um, yes, the trains are packed during rush hour. It's pretty much business as usual, and Disneyland's open as well. Um, yes, and the Olympic Committee's trying to push the Olympics ahead still, which is quite insane. Uh, that's an interesting thing, actually. There are now some governmental officials across Japan who are expressing concern about the Tokyo Olympics, and one has been very vocal about it. I think he's the... Um, the governor of Shimane Prefecture. He has been very, very vocal and has announced that Shimane Prefecture will have no, um, will not be involved in any Olympic events. So that's that's something. Another thing has been that the Ministry of Health, Labour and Welfare recently announced in February that COVID-19 is no longer a designated infectious disease. It's now considered simply as an infection like, um, like various types of flu. So, yeah, that things are moving, kind of changing on paper, the way the words are expressed are changing um yeah it's, that's been really interesting for me personally this past year has been a time of introspection and you know things although have been quite difficult at times it's 
been a time in which I can really, really deal with my own life that I've been kind of trying to hide away from. So all in all, it's been really positive this year, personally. Collectively, in Japan, I can't say if it's been mainly positive or negative, but people have been experiencing both, you know, optimism and fear simultaneously. And it's really shifting a lot of people's attitudes towards the way they want to live. Um, yeah, it's been really, really interesting. I wish that I could just hop, skip and jump over to the UK and visit for a cup of tea to see all my friends, of course. Who knows when that's going to happen? Um, in the meantime, I send much love and the best wishes and good health to, to you all. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, Emily. Thanks for sending that. Uh, great to hear your voice and thanks for sending through your reflections on such a weird roller coaster year for everyone. Um, and the differences between people's and government's responses to this, I mean, they're just so stark. Like, I'll give you an example. Uh, in Japan, a film came out in, uh, in uh, October in cinemas, all the cinemas have been open in Japan for the vast majority of the time over the last year, and uh, and it became the highest grossing uh, Japanese film ever at the box office. It even beat Spirited Away. Remember Spirited Away? Yeah, that's a good one, isn't it? That classic. Well, it's uh, that used to be the best one. The, well, not the best one, but the most profitable, or at least the one that grossed the most at the box office. But now this new one came out. I think it's called Demon Slayer or something like that. Demon Killer. Demon Slayer, Demon Killer, Demon Hunter. Next week, uh, we're going to be looking at Ireland. And I know that Ireland has been impacted by various variants, including the Kent variant or the English variant. Um, so, but also we're going to be comparing Ireland to the UK as well. And uh, Catherine has sent through a beautiful um, recording, uh, which will be the foundation stone upon which next week's episode is built. Episode 215. Hope you enjoyed it. Have a great weekend if it is the weekend. And we're going to be thinking of the Cymothea exiga, a mouth-infesting isopod. That means that it, it goes it gets into the old fishy-wishy and sucks out all the blood from the tongue and becomes the fish's tongue. This is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Fucking gross. And it's real. It's real life. This little thing, it uh, becomes the tongue of the fish. And incredibly, that doesn't kill the fish. It just, like, you, the fish uses this little creature as its tongue. Yeah, so think of that. The grossest thing ever. Um, <laughs> one, two, three. Walk between the raindrops. Have a great weekend and have a whole fantastic week. Why don't you? Thank you ever so much to Emily. Next week, Catherine and Ireland. And see you later.
That music can only mean one thing. It's paranormal. So we got a question from Porteous. 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 Tortoise. Tortoise. Porteous. Do you say tortoise or porteous? No. Do you say tortoise or tortoise? Tortoise tortoise? It must be porteous, mustn't it? Yeah, anyway. Porteous has uh, got in contact and this is their question right on the money, uh, as always. This is a... So porteous is a listener of Paranormal Blip. You'll be pleased to hear. Has there ever been a ghost eaten that was made of leather? <laughs> Um, what a question, eh? Has there ever been a ghost eaten that was made of leather? It's like Shakespeare, biampic pandemeter. What's that thing called? You know, the pandemic. Has there ever been a ghost eaten that was made of leather? Has there ever been... Anyway. Um, well, I don't know about ghost leather ghosts. Well, I do know that there's a kind of spate of... There is a rumour, and it's been kind of disproved, uh, but there's a rumour about Denver International Airport. It's kind of a conspiracy theory hotbed because the rumour is that there are ghost cows that wander the uh, airport <laughs> unbelievably. But I think it isn't really, um, you know, there's not much evidence. It's a lot of it is to do with people... Uh, finding it difficult to get on with the uh, airport's art commissions. They've got some wacky artists out there in Colorado, haven't they? Yeah, big up Colorado! (laughs) And um, there's this massive blue horse. It's this blue Mustang with red eyes. This is like absolutely true, right? Outside of Denver International Airport, there's this huge statue of a horse, a Mustang. And the idea is that it's the gateway to the West. I don't know fucking how that works. But anyway, there's a lovely, beautiful, big fucking horse there. But it does have red eyes. So, you know, if you've got to make a fucking horse with red eyes, then I expect that people on the internet will say it is a demon, especially those fucking Americans. You know what I mean? They'll say it's demonic. Now, this horse, like, realistically, in real time, in, in real world, realistically, in real life, the guy that made the horse, I can't remember his name now, he had this accident, the bit of the horse, a bit of the sculpture, this is true, right? A bit of the sculpture fell off when he was making it and slit his fucking artery in his leg and he died. <laughs> Isn't that mad? So, you know, if something like that, a kind of tragic... Uh, accident, a fatal accident happens when you're making your demon horse, then you you kind of expect that a bit of the old, you know, claptrap will stick to the horse, won't it? Clap is a very, claptrap is a kind of, what is a claptrap? Is it like, that sounds a bit horsey, doesn't it? Yeah. Anyway, talking of horses and connecting, all of this stuff is connected, okay? This is how Porteous works. This is, this is the genius of Porteous. Everything comes together. So we've got the Mustang, the horse, 
and the claptrap words associated with horses. And we've got the haunted cows. That Well, the cows aren't haunted. The cows are the haunting. The people are haunted. If you're haunted, are you the receiver or are you the one doing the haunting? I don't know. But anyway, you've got these ghost cows, yeah? Ghost cows wandering the fucking airport. And, but I think, you know, I'm not sure about that. The idea is that it was buried on, it was built on an ancient Native American burial ground. Um, But I think that a lot of that is to do with just kind of, like, it's just bollocks, basically. I think, I think, if you are in Colorado, I think I've got listeners in Colorado, then please, if I'm getting this wrong, please, you know, get in contact with me. And say, no, 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 I myself have seen the haunted cows. But there's quite a lot of, or the ghost cows, but there's quite a lot of funny artwork there. And I think a lot of people are just kind of, you know, putting their own associations on uh, onto kind of crazy, like, trippy art. Uh, anyway, the uh, Porchus is connecting the ghost cows with the word leather. Okay, now I think that I know Porchus well enough through this communication over months and months and months now. Haven't heard from Porchus for a long time, but I think what they're getting at is leather, leather, leather head, leather head in Surrey. Yeah, near Woking in Surrey, isn't it? Yeah. What happened in terms of paranormal alia in Woking? Well, everyone knows this. That, unbelievably, that's where the War of the Worlds is set. So it made me started to think, maybe started to think about the War of the Worlds, you know, the radio play I'm talking, based on the old book by H.G. Wells, came out in the, what, um, I don't know, like 18-something. But the radio play is very interesting. Okay, get this, right? Old, we're talking Orson Wells now and other Wells. Orson Wells, you probably know this. He did this radio play for CBS in 1938 and it caused consternation because it was brilliantly kind of structured thing whereby it's the setup of it was was that it was a kind of real life Martian invasion right and so he played this music and I've got a little give a little give you a little bit of a snip of it in a minute play the uh, so uh, you know back in those days they would have these shows, these radio shows, which would just be live music, you know, like uh, orchestras playing music. And the idea behind the radio uh, play that Wells had kind of rewritten from H.G. Wells's, um, you know, text uh, was that he kind of put it into a series of news reports. eyewitness account of what's happening on the Wilmoth Farm, Grover's Mill, New Jersey. We now return you to Carl Phillips at Grover's Mill. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, Ladies and gentlemen, here I am, back of a stone wall that adjoins Mr. Wilmer's garden. From here, I get a sweep of the whole scene. I'll give you every detail as long as I can talk and as long as I can see. The more state police have arrived. They're drawing up a cordon in front of the pit. About 30 of them. 
No need to push the crowd back now. They're willing to keep their distance. The captain's conferring with someone. Can't quite see who. Oh, yes, I believe it's Professor Pearson. Yes, it is. Now, now they've parted, and the professor moves around one side, studying the object while the captain and two policemen advance with something in their hands. I can see it now. It's a white handkerchief tied to a pole. Flag of truce. Those creatures know what that means, what anything means. Wait a minute, something's happening. A humped shape is rising out of the pit. I can make out a small beam of light against a mirror. What's that? There's a jet of flame springing from the mirror and it leaps right at the advancing men. It strikes them head on. Oh, Lord, they're turning into flames. Oh, the whole field's caught up by the woods. The fires are gas heading everywhere. Coming this way now, about 20 yards to my right. Ladies and gentlemen, due to circumstances beyond our control, we are unable to continue the broadcast from Grover's Mill. Evidently, there's some difficulty with our field transmission. However, we will return to that point at the earliest opportunity. In the meantime, we have a late bulletin from San Diego, California. And it goes on like that, so you can see the impact. It's good, isn't it? Yes, very good. Oh, very, quite um, gory, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, you know, get all that stuff in your mind's eye, can't you? Yeah. Now, um... One thing to bear in mind in relation to Paranormal Blip, of course, is that this was 1938 and it was coming from the Wells book from like, you know, bloody long time ago before then. It came out in 1897, the uh, the magazine article first, and then it was um, uh, published in a book, you know, the um, old H.G. Wells version. So you must bear in mind whenever you listen to people say, Oh, yeah, like in the 40s, you know, when Roswell happened, nobody knew about um, the idea of aliens. Well, it's fucking bullshit, pal. Fucking bullshit. Now, it is slightly different because we're not talking about flying saucers here. We're talking about, you know, the tripods and uh, quite different, um, you know, technology is described by Wells. But the idea of an invasion... And the idea of aliens coming to Earth is like totally in our culture, like way back, way back, way back, way back, way back, way back. Yeah. Anyway, that's a quick little paranormal blip and see you later. Bye.